0: I invite you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1 this morning. I recognize I'm getting up here a little bit later than normal, Uh, so consider yourself warned. We might just go five minutes later or something, okay? So don't be watching the clock this morning, Uh, but uh, I do want to finish chapter 1, and I feel that God uh, would have us do that this morning. So uh, please turn your Bible to Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 45 will be our text this morning. Uh, Last week was Easter and we had the opportunity and the privilege to go through uh, the way different people responded to the resurrection of Jesus in the empty tomb. Uh, It's still my prayer that God will use that sermon to see some people come to know the Lord. Uh, In the weeks before that, though, we were making our way through Mark chapter 1. And uh, in the beginning of this, this gospel, we saw that the gospel ministry of Jesus starts in Mark 1 in verse 14. In that verse, Jesus begins to emphasize the authority of the Son of God. He is God's Son, and he does this in many significant ways. First, in verse 14, Jesus uh, arrives on the scene announcing the nearness of God's kingdom. That's how authoritative he is. He can say the kingdom of God is at hand. And he demands a certain response. You remember this? The response is repent and believe the good news of God. After that, Jesus begins gathering disciples to himself, which would be abnormal for a rabbi to do, but he, he gathers disciples as a teacher and he demands from them their all. Leave the nets, leave your family and follow me. Then on one day in his ministry, starting in verses 21 and going the whole way down through verse 34, on one day in his ministry, uh, Jesus demonstrates his authority again with his powerful teaching. They said he taught as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And then he demonstrates his authority through healing diseases and casting out demons. Demons. Jesus was so authoritative and powerful, large crowds started gathering around at the end of the day at Peter's house so that it seemed as if the whole town was there. Have you ever been a part of something before that started small but then grew quickly? Uh, this week I was just watching uh, online the video of the history of uh, Grace Community Church in California. This is where John MacArthur is is a pastor. And I was listening to the history, and you know they started uh, just with a small cell of people over fifty years ago in 1956. But then, even uh, at this very beginning, before MacArthur was there, it grew quickly, grew to fifty very quickly, and then over the years it grew to four hundred people before he came in 1969. But then as you're watching the video and you're you're hearing the history, in MacArthur's early years, there was a significant movement of God that maybe not even that church has ever experienced again. The first two years that uh, Pastor MacArthur was there preaching the gospel, the church doubled in size. It went from 400 to 800. The next two years, it doubles again. It goes from 800 to 1,600. And the next two years, year five and six in his ministry, it goes from 1,600 people to 3,200 people. So in six years, the church goes from 400 to 3,200 people. And as I was watching the video, they rightly attributed it not to the preaching of John MacArthur, but to a movement of the Holy Spirit of God. They had some of the charter members in the video describing those early years, just to see God do a significant work like that. It was exciting for them. It was a movement of God's Spirit. Now imagine how the disciples must feel As Jesus' authority is on display, does some healings, does some miracles, the whole town shows up. And today we're going to see it's more than a town. It's more than just Capernaum, but it goes to the region of Galilee. Today as we finish chapter one, uh, we'll look at two other ways that Mark describes the authority of Christ. Start with the first one in verses 31 through, or I'm sorry, verses 35 through 38. It says, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed, that's Jesus, and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. I'm gonna to wait to summarize this fifth, this fifth demonstration of Jesus' authority until the end of the text. I wanna work through it. But the text breaks very easily into two parts. The, the narrative, verses 35 through 38, and then the narrator's comment in verse 39. And so at the beginning of this text, we learn that Jesus gets up early and goes out into a wilderness place to retreat for a while. Okay, Remember, the night before the whole town was gathered, they finally leave after he heals all these people, and then he doesn't even really take a good night's sleep. He rises up, if you look in verse uh, 35, it's actually stated quite well here by the ESV, If it reflects the original well, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark. there's like three ways to say it's early. Jesus gets up very early before dawn to spend time alone in prayer with God, who is his source of strength and guidance. Notice that the text says here that Jesus went out into a desolate place. You see that in verse 35, a desolate place, which is a wilderness place. We do not know exactly where this place is. A matter of fact, I think if we found it today, we would think that there would be probably nothing significant about it. It was a place away. It was in the country. It was in the wilderness, a place away from distraction. But within this whole account, verses 35 to 39, we will learn more about the priorities of Jesus, Son of God, than, uh, than we have so far to this point. And so one of the priorities I see in this passage is that Jesus felt that it was necessary to get away, to spend time with God, even after a late evening. Look at verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought, brought to him all who were sick and all these oppressed by demons and so on. And then verse 35, and rising very early in the morning. I want you to see in this text how important prayer is to Jesus the Son of God, he knew that he needed to commune, to, to communicate with his heavenly Father. And men and women, if Jesus felt this way about prayer, we most absolutely need to feel the same way as well. Recently, there was a massive study done of Christians in America today concerning prayer. It was found in the study that today, on average, the the average Christian spends approximately one minute a day in personal prayer the United States of America today. Those numbers decrease as you go from older to younger generations. That is, what what this study is, is basically revealing is that our younger generation generations might be even less committed to the one minute a day of prayer than the older generations would hold to. Okay, Now, before we turn this into a generational war, we all sit back in judgment on the younger generations. I just can't believe that they wouldn't be committed to their one minute of prayer like we are. I think we need to understand and recognize that both levels, all levels, if that is the average, that is pathetic. If we feel that we'll be okay without praying and communicating with God more than one minute a day, then we are in big, big trouble as a church in the United States of America today. Perhaps if you journaled how much time you spent daily praying over the course of this week, you would be discouraged I don't know that many of us, if we actually recorded how long it was that we prayed, would, would leave being satisfied. If the Son of God felt the importance to spend time alone with his Father in prayer, we must as well. Well, while Jesus was praying, the disciples were searching. Look down your Bible at verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. So the disciples wake up in Peter's home, and uh, eventually, maybe perhaps when they wake up, they are confronted by a large group of needy people. People have arrived, they want to be healed, they want to have demons exercised, they want to do all these miraculous sort of things, and they're looking for Jesus. And so the disciples begin their searching. The word for search here is actually a strong word which speaks of urgent searching. So Peter and Andrew, James and John, perhaps others as well, joined them and they begin to look everywhere for Jesus and they finally find him. Once they find him, what do they say to him? They say, everyone is looking for you. You see that in your Bible? I think with that statement, there may be an implied mild rebuke of Jesus saying that perhaps he should not be in the wilderness praying to God while so many people need him. I think there's an important lesson for us in this as well. While serving in ministry, you will never run out of people to minister to, people who will need your help. I think some of us are prone to run and help so much so that we neglect time alone with God. But both are important. Both are important. Neglecting God in prayer is is shameful. Cannot do that just to be busy in ministry. Returning to verse 37, then we hear the disciples saying, everyone is looking for you. And with this statement, I think Mark begins a theme that's going to run throughout the rest of this gospel, throughout portions of the rest of this gospel. And that theme is what I would call the suffocating pressure of the crowds. Jesus's overwhelming popularity is seen in that statement. Everyone is looking for you. And it will make ministry difficult for Christ, complicated for him, more complicated as time goes by. But, but notice how Jesus responds, verse 38. It's not gonna be like we would expect. I mean, I, I love Jesus. He's always surprising me in Mark's gospel with what he says or does next. Look at verse 38. And he said to them, quote, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. So Jesus decides to leave these people and their needs. I think this verse is very important for the church of God, and so because of that, we're going to slow down and look at what's between the quotation marks. There are three phrases between the quotation marks that help us understand more of the Son of God and his authority. The first one is, says, let us go into the next towns. Here, Jesus implores the disciples to go with him to the next towns, and he reveals his desire to minister to more villages throughout the region of Galilee. Now, the region of Galilee was approximately 20 miles wide from east to west, and 35 miles, what do you call it, deep, (laughs) north to south, something like that, maybe wide again. 20 miles by 35 miles. The ancient Roman writer, Josephus, described the land of Galilee in this way. He said it was a land of many great villages. Let me read this for you. It says... The cities lie very thick, and the many villages that are here are so full of people because of the richness of the soil. The very least of them contain more than 15,000 inhabitants. So, as Josephus, who was a world traveler and a writer, describes the region of Galilee at this time, he says, The least of the cities and villages had 15,000 people, and he said, There were many of them in this region. Matter of fact, Later on, he's going to say that there were 406 cities and villages. Now, Josephus was one to exaggerate just a little bit, but let's say he's even close. The the analogy here is of Jesus and his heart for these people. Jesus was burdened to go beyond the city of Capernaum to these other towns and villages as well. But then Jesus explains it more clearly in the next phrase. He says, "Uh, go with me, let us go to these other villages. And he says, that I may preach there also. You see, Jesus wants to leave. He's willing to leave Capernaum and the great needs in that city so that he might preach, that is, proclaim the good news of God to these other villages in the region. One of the reasons I love this passage is because this passage shows Jesus' passion for proclaiming the good news of God. I mean, this was Jesus' primary reason for coming down to planet Earth from the Father, leaving the heavenly abode, was to give people the good news of the gospel. even left this great opportunity, opportunity in Capernaum to Heal others so that he might have more opportunity to preach, proclaim the good news of God. One commentator, R.T. France, writes it this way. He says, better than I could. He said, Jesus's sense of mission compels him to leave an apparently fruitful and popular ministry to extend his proclamation through the rest of the region of Galilee. You see, Jesus' healings and his exorcisms may have been the most spectacular events of his ministry that attracted the largest groups of followers, but it was his preaching that was the most important aspect of his ministry. It was through his preaching that people would hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When mean, you think of the healing and the exorcisms, what those would do for people, those would bring them emotional or physical well-being, but the preaching, that would bring them eternal well-being beyond the grave. I mean, even if he heals a person for a time, for a moment, for 30, 40 years, they're still gonna die and go somewhere. It's only his preaching, the gospel, the good news, that will save them. And so as Jesus considers the opportunities in Capernaum, he has come out into this wilderness place, this desolate place to pray to God. And then he says, let us go on to other towns that I may preach the gospel there also for that is the reason I came out. You see that at the end of the verse? That's the whole reason why I came out of the city of Capernaum. I'm so burdened for these other towns and villages. What an amazing response of Jesus here to the disciples. This narrative shows us Jesus' commitment to proclaim the gospel of the good news of God. I ask you, do you share his priorities this morning? Have you ever failed? to get a good night's sleep. Because you were burdened for your neighbor, for your neighborhood. Jesus wanted to leave so that he could proclaim the gospel to hundreds of villages who had never heard. Just north of our church is Centerville Elementary School. There's 730 students at Centerville Elementary School. What a great opportunity for our church to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to these little people. My heart has been burdened just outside these doors, if I were to keep walking, I would run into a neighborhood where there are over 600 homes. 600 homes right across that road. We have seven members in seven different homes among 600. Who's burdened to reach that village, those people. We need to live like a missionary. We need to live like Jesus in our own neighborhoods. Maybe it's not that one across the road. Maybe it's your own. We need to live like Jesus. Well, this is the story. Jesus wants to leave. He wants to go so he might preach the gospel. That leads to the narrator's comment. In verse thirty-nine, it says, "And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and casting out demons." After this part of the story concludes, Mark gives us a few comments as a narrator here. He says that the disciples, Jesus' disciples, they go throughout Galilee and they are preaching, They're preaching, proclaiming the good news in the synagogues, or casting out demons. Initially, it looks like Jesus has freedom to go in and out of these villages and towns to proclaim the gospel. Uh, I love this little narrative comment here because the gospel is on the march. It's going outside of this little city of Capernaum, and it's on the march through the faithful proclamation of the Son of God. So, as we close this section, Christ demonstrates his authority by proclaiming the gospel. Beyond Capernaum, and I challenge you as a church, will you proclaim the gospel beyond this church building to follow the example of Christ? Let's take a few more minutes to look at verses 43 45. And the sixth way that Mark demonstrates the authority of Jesus, he demonstrates it here by Jesus overcoming uncleanness and growing in popularity. I love this story as well. Look at verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Here, This is a special miracle. There have been other healings before, but this is different. Uh, this healing story, you know, in the past, he's removed demons, he's healed diseases like people who had fever, but here he deals with a hideous disease that also brought ceremonial uncleanness. As a matter of fact, the healer, the, the leper here not only asks Jesus to heal him, but he specifically uses a word that he wants Jesus to cleanse him, cleanse me, which indicates something more significantly. So, I want to just walk through this this story in three stages. First, notice the request of the leper in verse 40. He says to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, this is uh, breaking normal protocol for a leper to do this sort of thing here. The leper initiates a conversation that is more than unclean, unclean, which would be normally unclean what they would be forced to tell people if they ever came in close proximity to a person who was clean. Leprosy in ancient times was a dreaded disease because they really didn't have a way of treating it. You contracted the disease, your skin would basically rot and decay, and perhaps even some of your limbs would fall off. Normally, Lepers would have to live by themselves, separated from everyone else, and warn people as they came near to them that they were unclean. So when you think of this man, think of the most disgusting, dangerous, and contagious disease in our world today, and imagine how comfortable you would feel if the person came and fell at your feet and asked you to do something. I mean, this is like someone Bolting over the fence at the White House, running across the lawn, breaking into the house, hoping to get with President Trump so that he could plead their case. Okay? This man falls before Jesus and he declares in faith, he says, if you will, you can make me clean. Again, notice that he wants to be clean, not healed. This is more than healing. Healing is only physical. Cleansing is multidimensional. It includes physical healing, but also purification. So Jesus responds in a few significant ways. First in verse 41, it says that he is moved with pity. Moved with pity, or is he? Is he? There's a little bit of a controversy at the beginning of this verse, and depending on what version of the Bible you're reading, it might say moved with pity or moved with anger or indignation. That's because different Greek manuscripts, different Greek copies of the original have a different word here. One is the word for angry, one is the word for pity. So either Jesus is angered at what's going on, or he's filled with pity. A lot of translations will take it as pity, like the ESV, if you got a King James or New American Standard Bible, you'll see that as well. If you got a New International Version this morning, it'll say Jesus was indignant. Indignant, he was angry. And so we have to make a choice here. Most scholars think that it's probably anger because you could understand why a scribe might want to change that. Here, a leper comes you and Jesus responds with anger? Let's just make it petty. Well, I personally, after doing a lot of stuff, I think the best answer is anger as well. But I would suggest that his anger is not at the man per se, but that his anger, my my view would be that his anger is is directed against the utter devastation and the painful consequences that this man felt as a result of his disease. Of course, Jesus knows ultimately that the reason people have disease in the first place is because of the original sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. He knows that this is not how it should be. People shouldn't have this sort of disease that not only eventually kills them in a painful and grueling way, but causes them to be isolated so that this man has not had conversations with people he loves for years. And so Jesus is indignant, in my opinion, at the stranglehold that this disease has is on the man. I say this, I think at least one scholar agrees with me. Mark Strauss says it this way, and the, the slide is behind me. It's, he says, Most likely, Jesus is expressing anger and indignation at the ravaging effects of the disease and especially of the social and religious ostracism that is causing. Jesus is angry. The next thing that Jesus does is intriguing. Look down in your Bible, verse 41. Moved with anger, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Some people believe that Jesus intentionally violates the law of Moses here to prove that he's got authority over it. I mean, the law of Moses wouldn't allow you to touch a leper. And so some people say, well, Jesus just wants to demonstrate that he's God, so he does it. I don't think that that view holds very well, because in uh, just a few verses later, he's going to tell this man to follow the law of Moses by showing his now clean body to the priests in the temple. Uh, Instead, Jesus is teaching something here about his own nature and for sake of time i won't get into all of the different ways that you could demonstrate this but what jesus is doing is he's demonstrating that he has the ability to overcome uncleanness through his own absolute holiness okay so the way this worked in the old testament like the book of leviticus you know and i had some places we we're going to go to but we won't go there this morning the book of leviticus basically says that if an unclean person touches a clean person the clean person would become defiled he would be he or she would become unclean that's normal according to the old testament jesus is going to reverse that in a moment not only is that, is, that, is that normal, one other thing you need to know about this scenario is there were ways for dealing with uncleanness of various sorts. If I was like walking out in the country and I accidentally touched like a dead animal carcass or something, there would be a confession of sin that I would need to do, and then I would need to offer a sacrifice, a sin offering in the tabernacle or the temple, but then I could become clean. Now, with a leper, there were ways to diagnose whether or not he actually somehow miraculously lost his leprosy, but there was no way, there was no sacrifice that you could offer that would make a leper go from unclean to clean. Understand the point I'm making? If you you do kind of, I know we're, we're late into the sermon. Okay, a leper basically could not go from unclean to clean by the offering of a sacrifice or anything. There was no hope for them. So with that Old Testament knowledge in mind, come back to our text here. So Jesus is clean and the leper is unclean. Jesus touches the leper. If this happened to any other person, the clean person would become tainted and unclean. But Jesus is different. He's God's son. He remains clean. And Jesus has the ability by simply willing something. You see that in the text? I mean, the leopard warned us about this. He said, if you will, if you desire it, you can make me clean. Jesus wills it and says, I will. Be clean. And with these four words, the son of God's authority is on display. Actually, it's two words in the original. Two words. With these four words, the leper is immediately cleansed. Men and women, isn't that encouraging? That Jesus has the authority and the ability to do this? And think about how this would encourage someone who is going through great persecution or trial to know that their Savior can say two words and do something that no one else could ever do. That their Savior could will something to happen that was impossible for other people. We have a Savior who wills stuff, and it happens. He can say two words, and everything changes. But Jesus responds in one final way in verse 43. He charges him and sends him away. See that in the text, verse 43. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. Give me just a few more minutes to work through this text. The words sternly charged are strong words. In Mark 14 and verse 5, this same word is used and is translated scolded. There's some people who scolded a woman because she wasted an entire bottle of ointment and perfume by pouring it over the head of Jesus. And so these people scolded her So here, after healing the man, after cleansing him, Jesus strongly scorns the man. He says, don't tell anyone anything about this. On a side note, I read many commentators this week who tried to explain this word away a bit. Well, Jesus wasn't actually strongly charging or scolding the man. He was just urging him to try to keep silent. I couldn't help but think that this is an example of our picture of a sensitive Jesus who made suggestions being imposed back on the text. You know, we got Jesus like offering ideas and giving advice to people if they want to take. No, no. Against the commentators here, I say, if the text says he scolded him, then he scolded him. He's the son of God. He can tell whoever he wants to be quiet, right? It's God's son. Perhaps Jesus knew that if the man told others, then Christ's popularity would grow quickly like it did in Capernaum to the place where he would have to leave the city. He couldn't go back in because of the pressing crowds. I mean, one verse later in verse 45, it explicitly says in the text that Jesus could no longer openly enter towns because of the disobedience of this man. So Jesus firmly challenges the man to be silent, and that's just fine by me. He also instructs the cleansed leper to show himself to the priest as a way of fulfilling the law of Moses and as being a testimony to the priest of the power that Jesus had to heal people. That leaves us with one verse. Look in your Bibles at verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So we had the request of the leper, the response of Jesus, and now we have the results of the cleansing. And so here we see several results. Here we learn the man blatantly disregards what Jesus says. He disobeys the firm scolding. The second result is that Jesus can no longer openly enter any of the villages of Galilee in the region of Galilee. But these results are not the end of the story. The final phrase in verse 45 demonstrates how God can overcome this man's disobedience and the overwhelming popularity of Christ. Although Jesus could no longer go into the towns and villages, his greatness was such that people now flock to the wilderness to find him. The text says they're coming from every quarter or segment of the region to meet him in the, in the wilderness. This message continues because it's coming from the authoritative Son of God. And so as we close this morning, I, I just ask you a few questions of application. First, Have you surrendered to the Lord? Do your priorities match his? Jesus got up early after a long night to spend time in personal prayer with God. Do you put a priority on prayer? Jesus left a city where thousands of people were flocking to him for help. At least hundreds of people were flocking to him for help. And he did so because he imagined that there were people in villages and towns all throughout the region of Galilee who had never heard the good news of the gospel. Do you have a desire to proclaim the good news of God like Christ? And perhaps you need encouragement in your trial this morning. Maybe you're overwhelmed or anxious. Take heart. If you know Jesus as your savior, you serve someone who can simply will something. He can say, like, two words, and it's done. We serve a powerful Savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity and privilege to work through this text of Scripture. I'm thankful for the patience of our congregation here and their eagerness to receive the word. Lord, may we also have an eagerness for the things that Jesus made priority. Lord, you know that I've been rebuked this week, been rebuked this week again over my own lack of prayerfulness and discipline to do so. Perhaps, Father, I'm not the only one in the room. Sees the discipline of Jesus, hears, hears getting up early in the morning to pray, and is either rebuked, or perhaps some are just indifferent. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to help us to spend more time with you. We thank you for even caring for loving us enough to want to hear us in prayer. We pray that we would learn from Jesus today. Perhaps there's others, Lord, of us who need to hear, we need to hear Jesus' impulse for mission. We go out into the wilderness not only to pray, but that he would go into the wilderness place because it was a little bit closer to the places that he wanted to share the good news of the gospel of God with. Father, please do a significant work in our church and in our lives. I know it starts in individual hearts. May it be that perhaps there are several within our body. They're just so overwhelmed to share the good news of the gospel of God that they would begin to imagine how they might reach their neighborhoods with the gospel. New places, new, new, new houses, new homes, new friends, new work, co-workers who don't know Christ. And then, Lord, may we all be encouraged by the authority of our church Savior, who said, I will be clean. I pray for any brother or sister, I know some personally, who are going through overwhelming trials, physical pressures right now. I pray, Lord, that they would take comfort in the sort of Savior that we have. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing a closing song.